KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. You may have heard some talk in the news recently about a semiconductor shortage. Now, it's a big deal and probably affects a lot more things than you think. We wanted to learn more about this shortage and why it's happening, so we caught up with Dr. David Kurz. He is an associate clinical professor of management at Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business. He also has a new book out you may want to check out. It's called Digital Supply Chain Leadership, Reshaping Talent and Organizations, and it's published by Routledge. This is an interesting conversation. Give a listen. So I'd like to start kind of with the basic because I think semiconductor is one of those terms that's thrown around, but the average person, if you kind of dug in, probably couldn't tell you exactly what it means. So kind of define semiconductor for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I'm a management professor. I'm not an engineer, but I do, I can tell you a little bit about semiconductors. So let's just call them chips for now, but these are small electronic components that uh, we use to make electronic devices, you know, so it includes transistors, diodes, integrated circuits, anything that you need to regulate electronic current. So think of copper, that's a conductor, right? And silicon is, is a resistor. So that's where the, by the way, that's where the term Silicon Valley came from, you know. So copper or some other conductor on silicon controls electricity so you can make electronic components safely, reliably, and using a very precise amount of electricity. So why are we dealing with a shortage of semiconductor conductors or chips, as you said? Is this COVID related or is it something broader than that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you asked that because I I think we need to take a step back to answer that question. So this is a shortage that has its roots maybe in the fundamental economics of the industry we're talking about. This these semiconductor chip manufacturers, they're called foundries. They're very big and expensive to build. The designers and users of these chips are not usually also foundries. So the components and uh, used in electronics manufacturing, they buy those from the chip makers. So just let's wind the clock back even five, six years ago. There was huge pressure on these foundries to compete at very low prices. Chips were commoditized. Buyers wanted the lowest prices possible. So scale in production was really key. You know, and that led to a consolidation of the foundries. So growth uh, was usually through acquisition of other chip makers, not by investing in new manufacturing capacity. And there was actually, believe it or not, an oversupply of chips. You know, five, six years ago, chip makers uh, were, would have to spend years and billions of dollars to build new plants that would be capable of cranking out new chips for different products. So you can understand that they want to be a little conservative in planning because of the risks we're talking about. Very enormous potential losses in overguessing how much capacity you need in that business. So that brings us to today. Now we've got fewer makers. The top three, Taiwan, Semiconductor, Samsung, and Intel, billions in revenue. But we're not talking about a lot of recent investment capacity. So there aren't enough chip makers. You know, even in 2000, you had companies that were making their own integrated circuits, but they discovered that, hey, it's much cheaper to outsource that. So they don't do that anymore. And now we've got this digital boom in 
a demand for all kinds of electronics, consumer electronics. You've got the Internet of Things uses all these sensors that are basically everywhere now, wireless connectivity, digitalization of everything. And then now you add some shocks to that system, trade wars, COVID-19. There are some very specific climate issues that impacted some plants. There was a plant fire in Tokyo. And now you got a situation where supply just can't keep up with demand. How unusual is this? Yeah, well, so there are a couple of things that are unusual, like the shortages that we talked about were exacerbated by some episodes recently. There was an electronics chip factory in Japan that lost a lot of capacity in a fire. There was a drought in Taiwan. Taiwan's a huge producer, manufacturer of chips, and water is an important part of making the chips. And uh, they actually, Taiwan had to decide between supplying water to some of its farmers and some of the chip manufacturers. And uh, so that that's an interesting story of itself. But anyway, that climate-induced situation actually put a lot of pressure on uh, the Taiwanese uh, manufacturers. And even Texas had this cold snap that shut down some of the factories operated by Samsung and NXP and uh, Infion recently. So those are unusual. The COVID and climate fires, but there's also some inherent industry economics and market conditions that were changing very quickly, faster than the capacity and investments could keep up with. So that period of adjustment, I think, is what makes it unusual. So I think people hear this and they understand the concept, but kind of bring it home to the average person. What does a shortage of these chips of semiconductors mean for me? Yeah, well, you know, this goes back to, Matt, some of the conversations we had about COVID-19 related supply chain issues last year. And, you know, supply chain, when it's working beautifully, it's, it's invisible. It's seamless. You know, you go to the store, you find what you want. It's on the shelf. And when supply chain is disrupted, like in this case, you can't get what you're looking for. You know, so what does it look like for people? Well, you're going to see shortages. You're going to see things that are missing. Uh, delays are created, unavailability, higher prices for them when they are available. You know, we're seeing some chip stockpiles being, you know, price gouged, you know, in certain cases, you know, you can't get that PlayStation 5. The the we, the automobile makers, a uh, very particular uh, and interesting situation. Their chips are used everywhere in new auto designs. If you've sat behind the wheel of a recent model car, you see how electronics have virtually taken over the old analog controls. But automotive, you know, it, it might have come back, but they're not at the front of the line for chips. According to Gary Silberg from KPMG, chip makers really love consumer electronics customers because they make large orders, you know, billions of devices compared with 100 million cars. And automaking is a lower margin business. So you're going to see some shortages in some of those popular SUV models for some of the, the auto manufacturers for something as silly as even seat adjustments that require semiconductor control. And they just can't get those small, inexpensive chips like they used to. So how long, and I don't know if this is something people have an idea of, but do we have any idea of how long it's going to take to kind of get things back to back on track? That's a great question. I think some of these issues are going to stretch into 2022. Yes, like the auto industry suppliers 
can start to shift some of their production to maybe some older type designs. They have to do some redesign for that to work. You know, that might take six, nine months. Adding new production can take years, right? And building a new plant takes up to three years. So that's a huge investment. So that catching up demand and supply could, could be a years long effort, you know? So, and you see companies like Global Foundries is a big U.S. chip manufacturer. They're doubling capital, capital spending. They feel comfortable doing that, but it'll take a while for them to catch up. So chip deliveries stretching to 12 weeks or more than a year in some cases, that, that could be really bad news for, say, smaller electronics companies, uh, startups that are, have an idea for a new electronic product. They just might not be able to bring that product to market in the scale that they would like to. And what can be done to prevent this happening in the future? You mentioned building plants, stuff like that. I mean, past kind of obvious things like that. Are there other things that can be done to shore up this supply chain? I don't know if it's redundancy, whatever, but what can be done to to prevent this in the future? Yeah, you know, this is an area where I think some public policy support and leadership will really be important. And uh, I think the evidence of that you've seen recently got the attention of President Biden, and he started to take some steps towards reducing our dependency on foreign materials, issued an executive order, reviewing critical supply chains, and looking at ways to bolster American manufacturing. 100-day review of classes of products like semiconductors at the top of the list, high-capacity batteries, pharmaceuticals, critical mineral, minerals, and strategic materials. You know, these are things that we have to plan for and and not just rely on market forces alone to drive things. We need to be, uh, especially if there's a strategic need, which I think President Biden correctly identifies that, uh, you know, that might require uh, some more broad-based policy-based thinking. And just to wrap up, you and I, we've had supply chain discussions. How big a deal is this? Like in the big picture of things, how big a deal would you say this is to as far as the, the ripple effects of it? Well, I I think it it is a big deal because uh, you're going to find that some firms are squeezed and squeezed out of markets, and it's the larger players uh, that will be able to survive. And even in those cases, you'll see a lot of delays. So what I'm worried about the most is the smaller firms that would be squeezed out of innovating and bringing new ideas, new products to market when this limitation of supply does not favor them and it'll favor for the the larger scale manufacturers. So that's, that's, that's my fear is that, you know, when I, I just studied the digital supply chain leadership and, and part of the benefits of a digital supply chain, the lower cost increased customer satisfaction, it relies on the availability of this kind of component. Take that out of the equation. It's just going to slow that innovation and slow the benefits and the impacts of digital supply chain performance improvement. That's what worries me. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>